Grace Pod is a ministry of Grace Church Greenwich. For more resources to help you get to know God better through His Word, including bite-sized theology and answers to big questions, do check out www.greenwich.church. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to Grace Pod, and we're uh, in Exodus uh, from 21 to 23. We're after Sinai, after the Ten Commandments, and now we get... Um, some case law, we get an exposition really of the Ten Commandments. Andrew, what did you notice in this section? I'm actually ashamed of my treatment of this part of God's Word because when I first did work on it, I think I used to teach Weekends Away on Exodus and I completely ignored this section of the Bible. And I thought this is all just random instructions about oxes goring people and about um, you know particular ways of building altars and surely this is irrelevant to me. And I completely repent of that and I now think this is... I mean, I ought to have thought this before because of my doctrine of scripture, but I now think it's a precious part of God's word that we really need. Um, because the Ten Commandments by themselves are there, they're the headlines. But if you actually want to live out the Ten Commandments, you need to know how they apply in different situations. And so you could say, um, don't commit adultery or don't be sexually immoral, but what counts as sexual immorality? Or you could say, don't steal, but what do you do when you lose some somebody's property or you know so how do i apply these big headlines in particular situations so what would be uh let's say it seems pretty clear god says you shan't you shouldn't kill someone what ambiguity is there that you need straightening out by the case law about murder well so um i think you as you look at the case laws you'd find that they're kind of clustered around different commandments so i take it um you know, chapter 21, verse 12, whoever strikes a man so that he dies shall be put to death. Um, this is about murder. Um, uh, verse 18, when one, when men quarrel and one strikes the other with a stone and the man doesn't die but takes to his bed, then, um, so on, um, etc. Uh, when a man strikes his slave, he should be avenged and so on. So it's all about you hit somebody, they die or they don't die. What do you do? So it's, it's about murder. And, it, little distinctions that we make in our own court system. So murder is not the same as manslaughter. So premeditated, what you call first degree murder, you know, that is not the same as um, you killed somebody in self-defense. But um, And that distinction is made in the case law, as in you shouldn't, the courts should not treat the two the same. So if you lay in wait for him, then um, then you've got to be killed. It's the death penalty. But if you didn't lie and wait for him, it wasn't premeditated, but you end up killing him, then you, there's a place that you can flee to because people are going to want to avenge the death, and but you shouldn't die for it. So there's that distinction. Um, and there's just a lot of things that I think speak to our context today. So, I mean, how about this for a, a message for today? Verse 22, when men strive together and hit a pregnant woman so that her children come out, so she goes into a premature labour, but there is no harm... The one who hit her shall be fined, as the woman's husband shall impose on him. He'll pay as the judges determine. So if you bring on a premature labour, then that's a fine. But if there's harm, if the fetus is damaged and the, the baby that's born is harmed, you shall pay life for life. So if you hit a pregnant woman and her baby dies, that's the death penalty. That is the same as killing a um, an adult human. So... I mean, this is very striking, isn't it? That the case law, God views abortion as murder. It's the same as um, as killing a um, a life, a life human being. It is a life human being. It's the same as as killing an older 
human being. So I think I think we need this because yes, don't murder, but what does this mean? Does a unborn baby count? Yes, it does. Does a slave count? Yes, he does. Yes, she does. And I think sometimes we're people are scared of the case law because it mentions slavery. We needn't be scared because when we look closely, we discover that all the commands are there to protect slaves and prevent abuse to slaves. So killing a slave is not okay. That is murder. That's the death penalty, the same as killing a, a free man. So we, we get the detail about how these apply in different situations. So um, slavery is a, a word which immediately um, has a huge um, barrage of connections in our minds and African-American slavery um, the the slave trade, um, uh, Greco-Roman slavery, etc. Um, and it might be worth just thinking about what what is being referred to in this context when it talks about slaves. Um, well, the first thing to say is that kidnapping somebody to make them a slave is explicitly forbidden in Israel's law. Um, and, you know, that is a, a heinous crime. I think... Um, I think it's a capital crime i don't remember and in forbidden in the new testament as well one timothy one so it's 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 clear that the bible condemns that kind of uh man um what's it called uh yeah well it's uh, like human trafficking isn't it i suppose you know in, enslavement yeah so the idea of capturing somebody against their will forcing them into slavery is absolutely wrong in old and new testaments but there are contexts in which people would find themselves in slavery um, and I guess the, the main two are people who are in debt and can't pay. And so slavery is a, um, it's basically like you can pay off your debt by, um, offering your life and employment to somebody that you owe. Um, and, you know, I guess we, we easily condemn that, but it's, it actually does provide a way out for somebody who's has nothing, um, and without social security and so on. Um, and uh, the other one would be prisoners of war. But here in chapter 21, it's about Hebrew slaves. So I guess it's people in debt slavery. And even then, the, the, the laws that are given are there to regulate and control and prevent abuse of people in that situation. So when you buy a Hebrew slave, he shall serve for six years and the seventh, he shall go free for nothing. So it's it's limited, the, 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 time, per, limit. the time limit on it. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, verse five is amazing. If the slave says, I love my master... I do not want to go free. I mean, that that tells you this is not human trafficking. You know, this is a relationship where somebody's brought into a family, basically, and, and serves in that household as a faithful employee slave and loves it so much they don't want to leave, even when they can. So we, we got... Maybe we need a different word, because we read slavery, we think all the awful connotations of, of terrible things done in the last few hundred years. And, of course, there could be abuses in slavery, and... In the ancient world, there was much abuse in slavery, but God is giving His law here to make sure there's not that abuse um, in that in this case. Yeah. Um, uh, I zoomed in on a a particular section um, when we did a Bible study on it, and um, just took a deep dive. So I, let's look for a moment at um, uh, it's from twenty two um, twenty one down to twenty three nine, and yeah, you can see it's a section because. At both ends, there's a sort of repeated verse. Uh, you shall not wrong a sojourner or oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Or 23.9, don't oppress a sojourner. 
you know the heart of a sojourner for you were sojourners so this is all about um uh this section of how to um deal with the the um the downtrodden and it's it's lovely um as you go through this section to notice um the arguments for the laws so they're not just do this but do this because of this particular reason um and in particular israel are to treat um the the, um, the vulnerable with special care because they have a history of being the sojourners and the slaves and so they're to carry that into their um new life and i guess the, the same argument is exactly the same for the christian isn't it so um we know what it was um to um to uh, be forgiven and therefore we should forgive we know what it is to have been loved in john 13 um so just as jesus has washed our feet we're to wash others feet mm-hmm. and so on so uh, our, our ethic grow comes out of the fact that the lord has been very very kind to us and therefore that kindness should overflow makes you think of that parable jesus tells about the unforgiving servant you know he he had a huge debt cancelled and then refuses to cancel a petty debt somebody else and what hypocrisy that would be i suppose it's jesus expounding that point yeah and and one of the um the motivators in these verses is that god's a god who cares enough to judge um and so you see in in 22 to 24 um don't mistreat any widow or fatherless child if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me i will surely hear their cry um or again at the end of verse 27 if he cries out to me i will hear for i am compassionate and um it's uh, we're, we're learning all the time what kind of a God uh, we're worshipping. So we, we, we saw last week that the Ten Commandments were at the moment of um, God bringing his people out to dwell with him. They're, they're sort of like the, the marriage ceremony and saying, well, um, just, you know, if we're going li- to um, live together, you have to know this about me. I, I'm this kind of a God. And here we see that God is a God who, who um, is very... Uh, he, um, he's on the side of the oppressed and he when he when they cry out he does something about it um, and you see exactly the same kind of um, argument in the New Testament so uh, I was thinking of Ephesians 6 where masters are told Christian masters don't threaten your slaves because uh, you should know that he who is both their master and yours um, he will see and know and there's no partiality with him so actually, even if you're the Christian and, and the slave is the non-Christian, um, know that God is will will be on the other guy's side because God hates it when uh, the vulnerable are downtrodden. It's a great thing as well, isn't it? That in a here is case law telling human courts in Israel how to behave. You know, this is going to become the the legislature in Israel, but it's not like God is totally hands off. He hasn't said. I delegate all justice to you. He's like saying, here are the principles, but I'm on it as well. And that is a great comfort. I mean, it's a privilege for us to live in a country where biblical laws have shaped our laws in many different ways historically. I mean, some of that's being unraveled by a more godless sort of age now. But um, much of the foundations of British law are biblical law. But it, of course, human justice fails. And there are the Jimmy Savile cases and the you know, the people who get away with it and the court cases that weren't fair and god's got this extra reassurance like i'm i see and i will personally sort it out if somebody's oppressed or, or mistreated yeah one of the the fascinating things here is 
is how um, the uh, we're we're taught here not just to care for the the downtrodden, but even our enemy. So in chapter twenty three, four and five, if your enemy's ox or donkey goes astray, bring it back. If you see the donkey of the one who hates you lying under its burden, uh, you shall rescue it. And um, so Jesus, Jesus' teaching in the Sermon on the Mount is radical to pray. Uh, for those who persecute you but it's not brand new um right here in exodus we're told uh, to love our enemies practically um and not to um to think oh well i you know i hate that guy no um if he's your enemy you should love him and, and bless him i was really struck by that little passage because you just created the bit in beginning of chapter 23 and it comes in the middle of another little mini sandwich so the beginning of chapter 23 is about i think it's expounding the commandment not to bear false witness and do not spread a false report don't join hands with a wicked man to be a malicious witness um then you get the bit about looking after your enemy's animal and then you get verse six don't pervert the justice due to the poor in his lawsuit keep away from a false charge so don't bear false witness look off your enemy's ox don't bear false witness like how do those two things go together like what you do in court, what you do with an animal that's gone astray. And I wonder whether it's just a warning that human justice is so easily perverted by the desire for revenge. You know, if if I don't like you or you've wronged me in some way, I could just try to use the court system to get you. Um, and we mustn't do that. So love for enemy um, I mean, is not only a beautiful thing, but it also is is required for there to be justice. Because as soon as there's some sort of maliciousness involved, um, and I, I just love the the Bible. Just it's not naive, is it? Say so here there is, even as he's saying this is what the courts must do. God is aware that people could pervert the courts or use the courts as you know. I could, um, I could pretend to be the victim in order to attack somebody, as well as I could be the victim by being attacked you know there's there's just the danger on both sides and god's not naive about that or um don't side against the poor um and um don't pervert justice by partiality to the poor so again you know you can imagine some like a crusade for the downtrodden to such an extent that i warp justice don't don't warp justice treat the poor not worse not better but the same so it's just it, it it's very the bible's very um aware of the sinfulness of our hearts and the ways in which we can easily twist and and pervert moral categories and as you look at the case law you find that god's there's wisdom to protect you against each of these sort of dangers and and it's very contemporary because in in a right concern for victims there's been this slogan um always trust the victim um and there's something that's right in that because um, we should find out. But, but the key is that we should always trust, um, defend and trust the victim. But we need to work hard to find out who the victim is first. And the victim isn't always the one who yells, I'm the victim. Hmm. And that's, that's how um, God's law is so wise um, in the checks and balances and checking your, um, your, your attitude, not, not favouring one side or the other without listening. Hmm. Um. Our conviction then is that all of these case laws are valuable and it's a shame we've only got a short grace pod to do it and really commend people in your own Bible study to go through these verse by verse and sort of thing, how they apply. 
today. I mean, one just sort of one other example that convicts me: ox goring. You know, I never thought that was relevant, and I realise it really is. So there's a distinction made: if your ox attacks somebody, and it's previously attacked somebody, you are culpable. Um, if you if you um, attack somebody, but you thought it was a really placid ox, it's the first time you're not culpable. Um, it's a bit of a stupid illustration, but my dog Gustav um, in the park, Greenwich Park, <laughs> attacks people's picnics. And the first time he did it, it was a bit embarrassing. And I said, sorry, and it wasn't really my fault, but it now is my fault because I know that he does it. So I, I, even that is just such wisdom in it that um, to the extent to which you could have prevented this harm from happening to somebody you are culpable. It's, it's just, it takes love your neighbours yourself. It really helps you to see what that looks like in practice. And I, I got caught out similarly when I was reading these because um, we borrowed someone's um, uh, luggage so that we could uh, go on holiday. They had nicer uh, luggage than our kind of bin bags. And um, while I was on holiday, um, the handle broke and I gave it back to them in, in a bad state of repair and just, you know, we're friends, that's fine. Um, and then reading this case law, realised that no, if, if that happens, you, I need to show restitution uh, if I've borrowed a neighbour's property and um, it's died in my care. Um, and so I actually, you know, went around a, a year later and apologised and paid for the <laughs> paid for the breakage. But we we all, uh, you know, nod when we hear "love your neighbour as yourself." But what the case law does is it says, "Oh." loving your neighbour means this and you go oh yeah okay hmm. I, I didn't love my neighbour there um, as we close let's take the, the verse that people will scratch their head over and they'll think well this can't surely be relevant which is chapter 23 verse 19b you shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk okay, this is a sort of famously difficult example and it's a nice place to finish because actually like always in the bible you've got to understand something in the context to see how it works and there's actually, um, it comes at the end of a little section about um, Israelite worship. So it's about the feasts that you are to celebrate, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, um, which we saw earlier in Exodus. This is part of the celebration of the, the Passover, the reminder that they escaped in a hurry from Egypt when there wasn't even time to let the, the bread rise. So the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a it's central to Exodus. It's remember your rescue. Um, and then you are to keep the Feast of Harvest and the Feast of Ingathering to remember that God has provided for you. So the three feasts. Um, then there's an instruction about your worship. So don't offer my sacrifice with any yeast. Um, give the best of your first fruits to the house of the Lord your God. So give wholesome worship. And then don't boil young goat in its mother's milk. And then you actually get the same three things exactly in Exodus chapter 34. The three feasts, proper worship, don't boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Well, how does the context help us? It's got something to do with right worship. But, okay, why is boiling goats in milk bad? You know, goat a la creme or, you know, whatever it would be. Um, well, again, the context helps because we're just right at the end of the case law. We get this little passage talking about where we're going next. And we're going into Canaan. And the real danger of living in Canaan is there's people there who don't know the Lord who have different practices to us. And we must be careful that we don't get influenced by their culture. And I guess it's a short step to imagine um, you know, this is a way of being very distinct. I guess in, in Canaan, um, goat a la mother's milk was a very common recipe and worship was done very differently to fake gods and ethics were very different 
as required by fake gods. And it's just this real danger. You've got to keep yourself distinct, keep your worship distinct, keep it pure, keep your morals distinct, because you're going to go and live amongst the people that, that don't know the Lord. Thank you for listening to Grace Pod. For more information about Grace Church Greenwich, visit www.greenwich.church.